learn a lot from Isaac and how to be and how to be comfortable in yourself and how to annoy people. Don't do that, do it better. The 90 year old was a huge, huge fan. It's turned out to be quite a good career move. Having that challenge caused me to sort of reevaluate what it meant to be George Robinson. Welcome back to Taking the Disc, the Knights Foundation podcast. And now last week we went to London, me and Soph. How was that, Soph? God, it was long to get there, but yeah. it was good once we got there. Yeah, tell me about it. It took me about four or five hours to get there. Well, I drove up, so I was the lucky one. I got my parents to think? drive me up instead. Driving in London? Mm. Well, I wasn't one driving, was I? If I was, it might have been a little bit different. Yeah, I guess the passenger princess. No, I had to take the train. What a journey that was. Um, no, so plan on getting the bus. Nearly missed the bus. I stupidly told the bus driver the wrong stop. I had to run to the train station. Made it to the train station only to find out my train got cancelled. Before I even got on the tube, I missed two more trains. Got on the third train. Made it to London Waterloo. Think you need to work on your time management, mate. Wasn't my fault that rail strikes. And yeah, then we got to the tube station. Needed to go to the Bakerloo line. And apparently that isn't wheelchair accessible. Which is good news. I made it just in time. Had a podcast with George Robinson, the guy from Sex Education. Yeah, he played Isaac Goodwin, didn't he? Although I did fango over Maeve a little bit, but we're not <laughs> gonna go into that. He was a really genuine guy though, like for some, he was the first kind of celebrity that we'd had on this podcast. Yep. So it was a bit of a nerve... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I was... Shitting it, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was the first guy that we've had, so it was really nerve-wracking. But when I actually met him, he's so down to earth. Oh, yeah, 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 he was. Couldn't be a better guest to have on for the first episode with, with a guest. Open to all our questions. You kind of led that one, though. I did. How did that feel? I was scared of times. Yeah? I felt awkward at the start, but I got into it. It can be a bit scary when you feel like the light is on you when you're talking and everyone else is quiet in the room, but you get used to it. I don't know. It felt like we could ask him pretty much Mm -hmm. anything. We pretty much had to kick him out of the studio afterwards because he kept wanting to chat to us and he nearly missed his train. Anyway, you guys will hear about it soon enough. So with that in mind, here you go. George. Hello. How has life been after your series of sex education or many series? Well, it's been been good. It's been a whirlwind, really, just, you know, from the beginning of it and getting cast. What was it? Maybe, like, I think it's four years ago, I think, that I cast in it. So it's it's been a bit of a, a weird... (laughs) <laughs> transition really but it's been the most incredible uh, experience and I've actually learned a lot about uh, myself in those four years mm-hmm. um, and learned a lot from, from Isaac and how to be and how to be comfortable in yourself and how to annoy people which has been very helpful yeah uh, I was going to say like so you started this four years ago am I right in thinking you were actually at university at the time? <laughs> yeah so I was at uh, university studying philosophy at Birmingham and I was a bit bored 
during the evening sometimes. And I was just twiddling my thumbs. I didn't feel like I was being particularly productive, you know, going out and drinking and, and, and stuff. So I decided to go to a local screen acting class at the Midlands Arts Centre. I went to this place run by this amazing lady, um, Louise Osborne, and through that I, I got some clips together and, and sort of began to come to get a little bit more comfortable in front of a, a camera and remember to not look at the camera and where to be and how to conduct yourself. And through that I got a couple of clips, clips together and sent those clips to an agent uh, who specialised in people with disabilities at Visable, run by Louise Dyson. They accepted me into their, their agency, which is amazing. And and then I had an audition for Casualty, where I was going to be playing a paraplegic who had a pressure saw that had maggots coming out of his arse. But unfortunately, I didn't get that one. I was devastated by that, because I'd, I'd, I'd gone method and everything and sat on a pipe. Um, no. But I decided, yeah, so I, I did that audition, didn't get it, but I think the risk, the, the experience of that mm-hmm. um, audition was really, really helpful because I realised everything that I did in that audition, don't do that, do it better. So then when I got this second message through for an audition for a, a Netflix show called Sex Education, the first series hadn't come out yet, but this was for series two, and I read the characteristics of this character of Isaac, who was disabled, but not they hadn't specified what his disability was, but they'd written down a, a list of his personality and, and his traits and stuff, and they said, sarcastic, used wits to undermine people around him, and uses his disability as a means to get what he wants. And I thought, I can do that, I can be a dick. It's fine, it's easy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I did it and I went to the audition and I, because I felt very confident in the fact that I could perform those traits, I went in really, not that I was confident in getting the job, but in terms of, I just felt confident that I knew who this person was. So I went in ludicrously relaxed for someone who's going into audition for a, a Netflix show and then I did it and they seemed to like me and yeah, I, I came down from the day from Birmingham down to London and yeah, they liked me and they invited me back, which was crazy in of itself. Um, the fact that, that these people from this um, casting studio, um, Lauren Evans, had thought I was good. So that was really validating. But, you know, it was just another day trip out in, in London. And then I turned up and it was a chemistry read with... Emma Mackey. So all of a sudden, just, oh, I've met her in a doorway, bumbling around, and got to know her, and sort of did this reading of the, the scene through with her. And again, they see, the, the people in the room seemed to like me, and then they I got a message a few weeks later saying, yeah, all right. Got a job. And you come, um, which I still, it's a, it's a weird thing to get, your head around because I think the way that I tend to process things is just by tackling the thing that's immediately in front of me and regardless of the the scale of it you just sort of you have the conversation that you have in front of you you try and do the task that's set to the best of your ability and then from there you go because I think as soon as you start 
trying to think too much about, oh, this is for a Netflix show, how many subscribers of people of Netflix, guys, oh, all of this, this, and that's not helpful because it's distracting, it's noise, and the only thing you can really focus on and the, the variables that you can control is, right, this, this is the scene, this is the character, go from there. So yeah, it's been a bit... So my answer to your question is it's been cool. Very cool. Well, I think it's very cool that you've got to um, hang out with Emma Mackey personally, but that's just me. Yeah, she's she's a delight. She's really, really um, delightful. And yeah, I've, I learn a lot from her just in terms of, you know, sheer acting. She's like, oh, I'm going to copy that. And then also just how to conduct yourself around people and talk to people on set. Um, crew and how to be so I'm really really grateful to Emma for helping me out with that. I think it's interesting to look at the dynamic between a relationship with someone that's disabled but someone that's also able-bodied and the dynamic between the two it's really interesting to look at how that was portrayed because I don't think that gets a lot of like media coverage especially like nowadays when I was younger the guy that I looked up to was the guy from Glee and then it broke my heart when I found out that he wasn't actually disabled. And it's kind of, the dynamic of people playing disabled people but they're not disabled also feels like a cheat because they're not living that true experience. So when your character, Maeve's character, kind of the dynamic shifted between the two of you and how I saw that. So it was really interesting to see as I'd never really seen something like that before. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the relationship between... Uh, Isaac and Maeve is quite an interesting one um, in terms of they've both been through somewhat turbulent relationships with their parents. They, I think Isaac is a little bit further on, as in he doesn't have a relationship with his parents at all anymore, but um, Maeve has still got her mum in, in, the, in the mix. The, the reason that that relationship tends to work is that they've got a lot in common and the, the fact that one is sits in a wheelchair is is such a minor aspect of their relationship with one another and is such a minor aspect of Isaac as a person but simultaneously it informs everything that Isaac does this and I think that was the the really fun thing about the writing on on sex ed was that that, that when they brought me on board they were really open-minded and said we want to do this right you know we want to have this be authentic as possible so they spoke to me about my lived experience. So it made it feel like within the script, there was never a point in the script where Isaac wasn't disabled. The best example would be when I, and I, um, I look out for it, particularly when I'm watching something with a wheelchair user, is the question that I always ask myself is, where has this person been before this scene? Because a lot of the time you'll see a wheelchair spawn at the top of a flight of stairs, and you just you spend the entire time going, how on earth? How did you get there? How did you get yeah. there? Yeah. No, no, it doesn't I, make sense, does no, it? Exactly. So that was really helpful, just seeing that within the script of just like, okay, they know that within this story, when within this world, Isaac exists, and the camera just happens to be following him in, in that moment, but he's not spawning in anywhere, which is really helpful. And I think with your point towards. Um, the fellow from from Glee. I think when there's that there's, there isn't that ring of authenticity there. It sort of pulls away from how much truth you can pull away from that character in, in, in that moment. So I wanted to talk about the lift scene. Actually, I thought it was quite 
a powerful scene, especially personally, because I've had a few experiences like that, and one that stands out the most is um, when I was applying to uni. I applied to one uni, and I got accepted into it. And I got a phone call from them, asking me about my needs, and, oh, can you stand? And I'm like, no, no. And they were telling me, oh, well, we do have one left. But it's broken. And for that reason, we're gonna have to terminate your your application. That's crazy. And then put the phone down. That was it. I mean, I'm I'm so sorry to yeah. to hear that one. I mean, that's awful. I I think. Wow. Well, I, I, I suppose that some of the issues is that with these universities, they tend to be in these massive old buildings, and they're yeah. using a separate service lift to to try and get you up. You have to go mm. through a mcdonald's next door to get to your lecture hall yeah and i think that the thing with that scene um sort of brought together a lot of lived experiences from lots of people with disabilities of having to make do with th- those situations where there's a lift broken they haven't got a ramp this this and this and the access requirements just aren't there when they should be and i think that particularly within the the setting of of the, the fourth series of this Cavendish College, whether it's, it's sort of a utopia in terms of acceptance and it's, you know, it's very inclusive. And then it's making sure that if you're going to promote yourself as this inclusive and, and inviting atmosphere where everyone, no matter who they are, feels accepted and warm and welcome, whether that be, you know, um, the LGBTQ plus community, regardless, it's making sure that the disabled voices aren't, ignored on that just because it's not as glamorous as you know the other aspects so yeah i was really um happy that that scene was there to promote it and you know it was more of isaac being a bit um, mischievous bit mischievous and causing a hassle and causing a scene and i just love it and sometimes that's what we have to do yeah and i think that it's i think that a lot of the time that um the thing with isaac is that he will if he does if if something's not working for Isaac, Isaac's going to say. He's not going to just indulge people. He's going to speak out about it. And it's very, very nice to have a character that does that because it can be very, very difficult to speak out about it because I can speak for myself. Like I, I struggle with... I'm, I'm not amazing at those moments of confrontation yeah, just because I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather not have to have that... Chat. Blend in. Yeah, and I think that it's it's really hard to, and it, it's sort of exhausting to constantly have to be an advocate for yourself. Exactly. So I think that having a character like Isaac on a, on a show like Sex Ed that's got this big audience, it sort of broaches that conversation already. So mm-hmm. it's got people thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I think I suppose that from my lived experience, that's something that I've sort of had to figure out as well because my my injury coming to me at, at 17 um when i broke my neck i've gone i'd gone through 17 years of my life yeah. not being disabled being you know able-bodied being able to do whatever jumping up stairs and whatever and not having any issue with that and then all of a sudden being in that position where you do have to analyze oh is that accessible oh, there's a step there i didn't realize there's a step there i can't get to that thing and suddenly your eyes are opened to a bunch of issues that you didn't really truly know were there 
so yeah, I think that the process of uh, becoming Isaac has actually really helped me understand those issues uh, combined with my lived experience. And so you've had your injury at age 17? Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. how did you find it like, adapted? Because obviously at age 17 is such a crucial point of your life, turning into an adult, yeah, and then I, you have this major change. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of words to, to describe breaking your neck. I'm going to stick with weird. You know, keep it ambiguous. Yeah, I think it, it, it was it was very strange, very strange. I think, um, you know, traumatic, I suppose, is another word you could use. But, yeah, going on a, a school trip at 17, you're playing rugby that is a sport that you've played since you were eight, nine years old. So, and it was just another another day. And then all of a sudden, bang, going for a tackle. Ah, I don't feel stuff anymore, which was, you know, not ideal and then sort of figuring out how i mean i suppose like i say figuring out the in the moment after my injury you're not really thinking of oh what's my life going to be like now you're just sort of like oh i don't feel stuff i you're just trying to get through it you're just trying to get through it i'm just you know getting told oh your lung has just collapsed george we're um gonna put in a ventilator i was like ah cool you're not thinking about anything beyond those those things. Um, it's odd, I suppose, that being the age of 17, I was in that weird period in between being a kid and adulthood. So even though I was injured at 17, my 18th birthday was um, two months after my injury. So I had my 18th birthday in hospital. The nurses blew up the latex gloves and stuck them on my wall with and wrote the words happy birthday on them at Addenbrooke's, which was very kind of them. Um, but it wasn't necessarily how I was expecting to spend my 18th birthday. But it was weird just being thrust into that, that situation of, you know, you're in an adult ward with adults who are going through similar things in terms of they've broken their necks, they've broken their backs, they're, they, they're, they've had a spinal stroke or, or, or whatever, they're suffering from a spinal cord injury. And then... Yeah, you're there, but they're they're going through marital problems, financial issues. They're you know they're having to forego work for this time in hospital, and I'm just there with them, figuring out my own stuff before I've really got out into the world and tried to figure out who I am myself. I suppose, like you say, that 17 years old is a it's a tough time for anyone really. I mean, like if you know what you're going to be at 17, then I think you're incredibly fortunate um i didn't I, I i knew there were certain things that i liked i liked acting i liked jumping around pretending to be other people doing silly silly voices but then all of a sudden having that challenge caused me to sort of reevaluate who i was and what it meant to be george robinson because i think that i think for a lot of us at that age we haven't really honed in on who we are i think 17's like a really impressionable age so hearing you talk about it 17 is hard enough anyway as you've stated like it's hard enough whoever you are but to have something like that happen from my personal experience obviously it's a lot different to yours and I've had people ask me um well do you miss certain things do you like do you not like being disabled and I'm like well what is there to miss because for me, my personal circumstance, 
I've not known anything different. So it's interesting and it's refreshing and you kind of open up your eyes a bit more to other experiences of people that haven't had that experience and have had to adapt from things that they were used to and then going, okay, well, I can't do that anymore. What am I going to do? It's almost like uh, you have to reevaluate what the purpose of your life is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that the... I think that the, I think initially after my injury, a lot of it in my head was framing about things I can't do like that in terms of, you know, you list off parts of my body that I can't move and stuff. But then I realized, you know, through the process of rehabilitation and just life experience, it's not even necessarily things that you can't do. It's just you can't do certain things in certain ways. So I can still go out for a walk with the dog. I just have to put an attachment on my chair and go out and hopefully the it's not too muddy and I get trapped and die. But I think it's just reframing ways in which to live your life. You can still do things that you wanted. It's just, you know, sw- switching the mindset of, oh, it's not what you can do. It's just how you do it. Yeah. No, very much so. I think with your character of Isaac, the character that you played, I resonate very much because hearing you two talk about how you're not very keen with like confrontation or anything like that. When I was at school, especially at secondary school, again, I was at a very impressionable age, but I was also quite rebellious. And hearing you two talk, I'm pretty sure you would have had a slightly different experience. So when I went to school, I thought it'd be a good idea to dye my hair. And they told me that once I dyed my hair, that because I stood out more than other students, they recognised it more. And I remember they made a comment like that. And it's interesting looking at how you or Callum, or perhaps even me now, because I'm very confident, but people don't tend to acknowledge that confidence comes with a lot of anxiety as well. They kind of work hand in hand with each other. And with Isaac, he had a similar attitude that I did when I was at school. He was very sarcastic. He dealt with his disability in the form of wit. And he was very like quick to the mark about things. And that reminded me of what I was like at school when I was at school because I was very, okay, let's push the boundaries a bit. But now growing older, I'm a lot more reserved and I don't like confrontation. So it's the difference between how you grow into certain things at different ages. So I really resonate with that. The thing with Isaac is, and and what like like you say with, with you, is he's not afraid to have that conversation that, you know, other people might find a little bit more uncomfortable. He's more than happy to say well why not why can't I do this that's you've just made that up there's no reason you know just because I'm disabled doesn't mean that I can't do something the reason that I can't get to up to the classroom or go to that university is not because of any fault with me it's because that room is inaccessible it can be draining to constantly have to advocate for yourself and argue your point and tell people these are my requirements and it's your duty to accommodate those requirements it's very it can be draining i think the 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 benefit of a show like sex ed is that it raises that awareness so people are already they've got those problems in the back of their mind 
already. It's not a totally new foreign concept to them. When uh, issues like that arise in terms of, oh, this building isn't totally accessible, well, what can we do about that? It's not just a blanket, no. So I was very lucky that after my, uh, very lucky after my injury, that I went back to my old school to finish my A-levels off. And whilst I was at the school, I'd experienced it for a lot of years being one way and I had to come back and experience it an entirely other way. So I went from visually, you know, walking down the corridors at a certain height. I was, you know, six foot tall. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, sat down. I can't go upstairs and thing, but they were very, very accommodating to me. And they were like, right, well, we'll just shift the schedule around, the shift the rooms around. So we'll have this lesson in a downstairs room. These are solutions and it's not just a blanket no, because saying no is just incredibly easy. The barrier isn't the fact that, you know, we sit in a wheelchair or anything like that. The barrier is a social construct of upstairs in a broken lift that isn't being serviced properly or it's old and dilapidated in a listed building. Those are all social constructs that don't necessarily need to exist. They can be changed. We hope you're enjoying the show. Now, if you're listening to us on your favourite podcast platform, please press the follow button to make sure each new episode appears in your feed. And what was it like behind the scenes? What were the actors like? How did they accommodate you? I think, um, well, they they were really accommodating in, in a number of ways, really. Um, so in, in I suppose the, the, the first example of them accommodating me it, it it just goes down to the character really they they put out this casting call of isaac who is disabled um but the the part that i read for me was he was an amputee so it, he they weren't set on any particular disability so they said that whoever we cast we're going to write the role or the specifics of the role, the, the little idiosyncrasies of does he have, you know, CP or a spinal cord injury or any of these things. So when I got cast, they were like, right, okay, spinal cord injury. And then I sort of told them about the, you know, the, the specifics of my tetraplegia rather than paraplegia. I can't use my um, my hands. I can't feel my, my, my hands. I can move my arms a little bit, but there's certain limitations to what I can do. So <laughs> there'd be scenes like where initially it would be, Isaac picks up a, a mug It's like well that's it's not quite gonna work so they're gonna have to make some changes around him it's just it's incredible how seamless those things then look on screen I suppose the relationship that, that Isaac has with his brother Joe who's his you know at no point is it ever referenced that in in dialogue that oh Joe's Isaac's you know carer and he helps him out and he's his, his personal assistant in that sense he just exists there and you believe that because it's if it, it rings true and then sort of outside of the the actual narrative of the show they were really incriminating in, in terms of you know making sure that um, there was an accessible changing room but I, I think a lot of the time is that it's not necessarily an industry that has been totally accessible for a long time. So there's a lot of barriers, regardless of people's goodwill, because there was a lot, a lot of goodwill. A lot of times there were certain barriers um, of accessibility. For example, there was only, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but there was only one accessible trailer with a, a, a lift in 
um, in the in the, the entirety of the UK. So they had to ship in this one thing, and sometimes that would be booked up. So I'd have to, you know, do a different trailer, and they'd have to sort it out. But they 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 found solutions. But I think that the the industry as a whole is slowly getting there. Hopefully, um, but yeah, things like accessible trailers not being the most readily available thing um, was somewhat of an issue. But yeah, for, for the most part, the the will of making this show inclusive and diverse was really there if it wasn't it wouldn't be the show that it is no, yeah. if you've got a, a show like sex education which is you know so widely praised for being inclusive and having this diverse range of characters exploring topics if behind the scenes it doesn't live up to that then it doesn't really feel Page, yeah, yeah it feels true and that's why in everything that i do i try and make sure that you practice what you preach in, 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 in that sort of sense. I love it. How are your co-workers with kind of adapting to what you could and couldn't do? Were they accepting of it or did you have any sort of confrontations or any issues like that with any of your co-workers? I mean, I really wish I had an interesting gossipy story where I bitched and moaned about people. Um, <laughs> but they were all really lovely. Um Genuinely, they'd, they'd, they'd help me out with, um, you know, if it was a, a character thing and I had a, a question to them about, you know, the, the, the scene and that, they would be very accommodating. But then if it was like, there were some times where uh, sometimes I'd have this big, big dry rope on, this massive jacket. And if sometimes if I've got a massive, massive puffy jacket on, it can push me forwards a little bit further than the seat. So my, my trunk is, a, um, my upper body is a little bit more unstable. So there was one time that I was going down the ramp outside of Isaac's, uh, Isaac's caravan. And because I was a little bit off balance or because of this puffy jacket, my torso sort of fell forward a little bit. Well, I, I have a seatbelt on. So, you know, thankfully it didn't get any more, I didn't, didn't fall out of it any more than just my, um, my top half. But yeah, so like Emma was very kind of just giving me a backup, and there was there was nothing else spoken about it really. So yeah, they were more than accommodating, um, and I'm I'm really sorry that I don't have a more interesting story. No, that's absolutely fine. I think I'd be more concerned if you did. Um, yeah. The thing about sex education, I think, is where it's so contemporary and like modern, it's great for young people nowadays because how things are. You could say that. Older, if you had a disability ages ago, arguably it would have been more difficult with like healthcare, things like that, the NHS. But then, equally, in this generation, we've got things like social media, we've got colleges with different cliques and different people, and kind of how that works. So, with sex education, it was good to kind of see the inclusivity of all the different kind of, I wouldn't say minority groups, but all the different groups that kind of came together. And mm. yeah, it, it was just a really kind of a feel-good show rather than, because obviously it is called Sex Education, so you get from the title what it's going to essentially be about. Yeah. But that's not the kind of feeling that you get from it when you watch it. It's more like a feel-good. The thing with Sex Ed is, um, like you say, it, it presents itself as, like you know, it's this, contemporary show they've got mobile phones they've got social media they've got all these things and yet they're not wearing uniforms that you know it's supposed to be set in Britain, but they're not wearing uniforms they've got these weird 
like 1980s cars. Everything's a yeah. little bit dated. There are jocks. There are these things. So it feels like a bit of a, a fantasy-ish world where you're not quite sure where Moordale is. Is it in Wales? Is it in the south of England? Where perhaps you've got people with lots of different accents because it's not it doesn't feel like it's set in a certain time or a certain place it feels a bit more universal in that sense so you can sort of um insert yourself into that world um and i think because of the visual style of it it's very reminiscent of and this was like actually what they were trying to go for I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's, there's films like the breakfast club yeah and ferris Bueller's day off or john hughes films from like the 80s and, 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 and 90s and that sort of era it therefore feels familiar in terms of the the setting. So it's yeah. what it's at that school. So you know that means that you've got kids who can relate to it, but then also you've got you know older generations who remember those films, and so you've got like adults thinking about and inserting themselves into what they were like at that time. Um, and then you've also got the storylines of it's the parents as well, marital issues, and all of these things. The show does does a lot to. Um, make people from a, a wide breadth of society um, think about it and insert themselves into it yeah it's interesting because i actually um started watching the show with my nan classic and um as much as we differed in opinions on certain things like nan was like well we've got to fast forward that we've got to sure. um we also had like the same opinions on things and she kind of gave me like these anecdotes of like oh when i was younger i was the same and i was like it's so interesting how it's kind of like transversal in all generations like don't get me wrong i stopped watching it with my nan after a few episodes good idea but um it was just interesting for that moment in time where we were watching it together the difference in opinion but also how similar like our opinions were and the experiences that we had were similar but they were in completely different generations yeah i mean it's the show for the whole family but for the whole family to watch separately and then reconvene in the living room to discuss. I remember once I was I was on the street near where, where I live. I was walking down um, the high street, and there were these two people up ahead of me. There was a, an old lady who was probably about eighty, maybe even ninety, and uh, and her granddaughter. And I can I was sort of I had my head down. I was driving away. And I could sort of sense a little bit of nudging of, you know, people who somewhat recognised me. Um, and I could sort of sense it from above my lookout. And I'd see the, the, the girl's probably about 15, 16 or something. And the, the grandma's like 90. I look up and it's the 90-year-old who's like, oh, I'm such a huge fan. It's, it's, look, it's him. It's him from the show. And the granddaughter didn't have a clue who I was. But yeah, the 90 year old was a huge, huge fan of sex ed and was asking me all about the scenes. I'm like, oh, okay, this clearly is quite a universal show. Um, I was not expecting that. It serves a wide variety of people. Obviously, you talked about the injury. Where did that, you said you played rugby and then you got into acting. How did that all kind of transpire? I played rugby since I was like eight or nine for the local club and um, and then went to school where we just played rugby that's what you did you trained on the like during game sessions and, and stuff and they had a, a match on the Saturday so I then decided yeah just I just played rugby and sort of you know enjoyed it a little bit just because I was messing around with my mates you know I would always be throwing myself at people just because I thought that I was 
the best way to tackle people. Spoiler alert, it's not. But I then, yeah, I then decided that just that's that's what I enjoyed. And then when the opportunity came to go to South Africa on a school trip, I was like, oh, yeah, I was really great. And I was really lucky that my, my parents were able to afford to go on that school trip. So, yeah, I, I went on this the school trip and, um, yeah, something went a bit awry whilst I was there and knackered my own, knackered my neck. Like I said, it's uh, it's turned out to be quite a good career move, but Very it's great. It's been move. good, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, like I say, wouldn't advise it, but done all right for me, so maybe So what are your plans for the future then? Have you got any, like, more exciting things that you want to do, maybe branch out and experience? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to write a lot at the moment just because i feel like i've got things in my head that i want to get down on paper so i'm trying to write my own stuff to explore characters in a a specific way i think sometimes when you know the the nuts the nuts and the the gears of the industry are whirring away and then i come in last minute and say oh that's not going to work for me you might have to shift things sometimes the project is too far down the line to make those accommodations which is is is, is totally um fine so it's sort of nice it would be nice for me to sort of work my own stuff so from build it up from the the ground up yeah so i'm working on a few projects like that and yeah uh, exciting hopefully yeah if you need any actors let us know give you a call well thanks so much jordan that was lovely speaking to you I had a bit of a fangirl moment, I'm not going to lie to you, but thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you for listening to Taking the Diss, a podcast from the Knights Foundation. You can also follow us on Instagram and X. Just search for Taking the Diss Pod.